You should scale your business using acquisitions. It's one of the best ways, and this is why. Hi, I'm Jillian Sidoti. And I'm Nate Dodson, and today we're going to talk all about how to grow your business through the mergers and acquisitions. Everybody's heard about M&A, but we're going to dig in a little bit deeper about why you should do it and how you should do it today. And Jillian, just to kind of kick things off, I want to kind of cover some of the reasons why to approach acquisitions as a growth model. And it, it's the reasons are pretty simple. Number one, you want to grow your business. Acquiring a, a, another business automatically just does a bump up. Number two, revenue synergy. I'll use my old law firm, Dotson Legal Group, acquiring crowdfunding lawyers as an example. We're in the same business. Yep. There were synergies with bringing those together that we'll talk more about. Achieving economies of scale, the bigger you are, hopefully the cheaper your operations get to be on a per unit basis. Diversification, hey, the economy is changing. Are you planning ahead properly so that you're diversifying your product and service mix? The vertically integrating businesses, that really comes together with the synergy of if you two, put two together, can you equal 2.5? Of course, some businesses have pent up tax benefits. So can you acquire a business and really benefit from a tax perspective and your own tax bill and also knowledge transfer. Are you gaining the systems, technologies, and other platforms that frankly your business can just run and operate smoother and better still enjoying those synergies? So Jillian, lots of great reasons why to do a merger, why to acquire other businesses. How do you even find a business to start looking at? What does that even mean? Yeah, you know what's funny, Nate, is that you were talking and I was like, wow, that's a great point. Like some of those things I haven't even thought of myself, like the tax benefits, like you might be able to acquire someone else's tax benefits that they otherwise couldn't use or haven't used up or what have you. So, wow. I mean, there's a lot to think about. I feel like we could do... Uh, video on each one of those points you just made. But, you know, first let's talk about how to identify an acquisition. There's two different ways of looking at, we can look at those acquisitions that complement our current business, right? Those make the most sense. And then we can look outside of our business for acquisitions that just make sense, right? So for example, you really want to figure out if you even have the requisite knowledge and if you're going to go out and look for those businesses that don't have the same synergies or the same same concepts or the same line of work as what you're working on. So for example, uh, when, when I was working at the law firm, when, before I passed it on to you, what were some of the acquisitions I was looking at? Well, I just looked at any kind of acquisition of something my client would use. For example, all of our clients were businesses. You know, we were a law firm. We were a crowdfunding law firm. We speci specifically focused on crowdfunding and crowdfunding only, but some of those particular businesses or you know were run by families and they needed family estate planning trusts things like that just tax planning so two acquisitions that would have made sense for me which never happened were you know estate planning attorneys or tax attorneys, right? Because those are services that those clients could use. But we could even bring it further than that. Accounting firms, all of those people need accountants. They need outside CPAs. Also a lot, what our clients used were certain printing services where they needed things to be printed. So that would have been something that's not super obvious, but something every single one of my clients used. The flip side, you know, as a business person in general, I was also looking at what kind of business 
businesses made sense that had, you know, low acquisition, low points of entry, low barriers to entry, and made sense in perhaps the geographical location that I was in, such as car washes. Car washes are huge right now. I have car washes on the mind, laundry mats, things like that. And it just depends on the geographic location you're in, if that makes sense. So the question becomes, how do you find these people? And you know what, Nate? I find the best deals are those deals that are not listed. So just start calling, dialing for dollars. But the couple of things that you really want to think about before you start dialing for dollars or after you find an interested seller is that does that business's mission and overall company culture fit with your mission and your purpose? If it doesn't, you probably shouldn't even begin to move forward because fixing those things such as culture are really, really difficult. So you're going to identify what it is you want to acquire, then target potentials in the marketplace, whether it's, you know, existing businesses that don't have any kind of legacy going on. They don't have any legacy plan. So you can go swoop in, grab that business if it makes sense culturally and with the same mission and goals. Then finally, the most important part is to do your due diligence. Once you get a target that says, hey, yeah, let's talk about something. It's time for your due diligence, which means you just have to verify all the information the other ha party has in order to make sure that you are getting the best bang for your buck. And then the thing is, the devil is truly in those details you're not even thinking about. I, I And I know you and I could probably share war stories, Nate, about random clients who made bad acquisitions. And it was always because of something that wasn't super obvious, right? So for example, I had a client who bought a mobile home park many, many, many years ago. And the mobile home park on paper looked great. They hadn't missed any payments. It needed some rehab. It needed some things. They knew it was not the greatest mobile home park in the world and that it needed some serious rehab. But there's some things that just can't be rehabbed. And one of those things was there were two murders on the property. And that, that just killed the deal, to be honest with you. It it, it, it totally, totally killed the deal. So yeah, uh, you really want to look beyond just the paperwork, just beyond the financial records, beyond the services and products, you know, really review those. If you're buying like a, a hospitality business of any sort, really review those TripAdvisor, review the Better Business Bureau reviews, review all of those things, call the customers, call the service providers, make sure the financials don't look good because the previous owner was cutting corners somewhere. Make sure well, those processes- Well, let me, let me jump in just yeah, real please. quick because sorry, you're- Sorry, I'll come up there. I, I know, it's just <laughs> I'm like, sorry. <laughs> this is one of those passion issues that I know both of us could go on for hours about, literally. But you're bringing up some things that literally I, I, I've been dealing with, not directly, but indirectly through business associates. And you're just nailing it with you've got to look beyond just what does a financial statement look like. Yeah. So an amazing example that it, it's not a client, so I can talk all about it, but it's <laughs> something that I'm actually kind of helping 
helping somebody along with, they bought a, a coffee shop. And the mm. coffee shop, looking at the financial statements, everything was going pretty well. There was synergy. There was ability to scale. There was still upside to be had. And the financial statements looked great. And you saw the money coming in, even with the bank accounts. But what it didn't show was the amount of loan or it was mischaracterized showing debt that was coming in actually as operational revenue. What? So they were covering the bills in large part from debts that they were getting. Oh representing it as, oh, their their revenue. Now all of a sudden the business is worth half as much as what they actually paid for. But it was one of those big surprises. It is what it is. And it was one of those, it was fraudulent, it was misleading, and it was falsified on the financial statements, but it was on the buyer, buyer beware, mm. to get the forensic accountant, to dig into the numbers beyond just what does the PL look like, to see really is what they're saying what the seller is saying going on in fact happening. And I unfortunately know that this buyer is regretting it and trying to figure out a way to either get a bunch of his purchase price back or ultimately just turn it back, say, hey, it was your problem. You lied to me. So it's it can be very interesting. And it always is a, what's the word? Buyer beware. You got to be very I'm careful. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Caveat very legalese type of, yeah. of uh, saying there. Yeah, no. Uh, and, and we could go on for this day. But, you know, one of the things we're both so passionate about this subject is because you actually acquired my business. And I think it would be fun now that we're far removed from that process. Um, we're almost three years, two and a half years into that. So let's I'm talk fine. about, yeah, I know, huh? So let's talk about what, how that went down and what that process was. And I don't know if you want me to start or you want to start from your perspective. Let me start because I'd like to start actually even before we got into this transaction. Sure. Because my law firm, my old law firm, Dotson Legal Group, it runs passively without me. I actually didn't do anything. I was golfing five days a week and loving life at the same time getting a little bored. So at the time all this came together, I was actually considering and looking at what other acquisitions or what other businesses to pursue. And just from a, a personal standpoint, I was going through that, hey, do I target going buying a criminal law law firm? We were right next to a courthouse and a jail. Uh, that was a consideration. Also consideration, and I did a good bit of this, real estate development. That's that no synergy, just a complete left direction. But I had the, the space at that point to focus on it. And so I'm considering all these different options. And then you actually reached out to one of my attorneys, Richard Robinette, who's today one of my partners, and then yada, 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 what happened from there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that reference. Um, I hope you all get that. So really for me, this deal all happened in 2020. It happened very, very quickly. And uh, you also have to understand that there's very few buyers and sellers of the type of business we're talking about, which was, you know, a securities transaction law firm, super specialized. So there's only a few buyers and a few sellers in this space. You can't throw an ad up on Craigslist and sell it. It's not like selling a Dunkin' Donuts or something like that, right? For me, from our point of view, what had happened was back in 2018, I, I, knew, I knew I wanted out. I was exhausted. I wasn't seeing my kids. I was working way too much. And I, 
I was making a ton of money. That part was great, but I, I had no time to spend it. The whole thing was exhausting to me and I wanted to, to get out and, and I could not see a pathway to getting out until I actually had a former partner split up the firm. And when that happened, I turned to my re last remaining partner, who was another woman and said to her, what do you want to do now? And her answer to me was, I want to be a stay at home mom. So I knew it was the end for us. And I was very happy about it. I knew it was the end for us because I had not wanted to do it for a long time. At that point, I was just working for my employees to continue having jobs, right? I made a list, uh, both, her name's Nancy. Nancy and I both made a list of the people we would be interested in selling to, because I'm going to tell you sellers out there, in case anybody's watching this to figure out how can I sell my business? Business, you want somebody who's going to take care of your baby as well, if not better than you're taking care of your baby, preferably better because there's a reason you're selling and it's because you don't want to take care of the baby anymore. Right. So can uh, we really we kick our kids out too? <laughs> so yeah, you send them off to college or, you know, the real world. <laughs> So my, my point being is that you, we made a list. We made a list of five potential other law firms that we could sell to. And Richard Robinette, your partner, was the first guy I approached. The first guy I went to, he was our first choice. And thank God you guys said yes. And we worked out a deal. And I think this goes for everybody, sellers and buyers alike. You need to work out a deal that is a win, win, win. So obviously one win is for the buyer, one win is for the seller, but I think your third win has to be your other stakeholders like your employees, customers, your clients, whomever those other stakeholders will be. So, so always search for the buyer or the seller for that matter that's looking for the win-win-win situation that wants success all the way around and it is possible, right? So that was a big thing for us. The other big thing for us was I had to be involved at least a little bit for a little bit of time so that you guys could make the great, the right transition. And we had to make sure that our personalities and our cultures and our vision and our, our management styles, at least if, if didn't mesh, complemented each other. And yeah. I'd like to jump in there for a second when you yeah. talk about the combining of companies, the combining of staff and everything else. Uh, I'll say that I've gone through this a few times in the past. I've been living not just what we're saying here, but acquiring other law firms previously as well. And when it comes to service-based industries, it, there's like other dynamics to take into account, which is really the customer the client right it's such a relation based business that it was so important to maintain the feeling and appearance of continuation and so it does exactly what what you were saying in terms of showing that well you're still involved less 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 then poof disappear <laughs> But yeah. through that process, it's making sure that all the clients understand we're here, we're doing the same things, you're working with the same people, we've got the same team, and just slowly bringing Jillian into the background. And it was an amazing feeling when, at this point, it's still working with people a, don't even a lot. Miss me. People don't even they, miss me. They don't even remember well, my name. We all miss you, <laughs> but we're even happier that you've been able to move on and pursue your passion, mm. your icky guy. So I mean, <laughs> it, it's been really like a win-win-win 
all the way across the board. No, absolutely. And I think everybody's won. And you guys have done amazing things with scaling the business and growing it beyond, quite frankly, my wildest dreams, which just makes me so happy and thrilled to see that happen. And, And that's what you want too in a seller is you want somebody who wants to see you succeed as a buyer, right? You don't want somebody who's just trying to shove off. And, and that's why I think I was a good seller, right? Is that I, I, was, I wasn't just trying to shove it off. I wanted Nate and crew and, and Richard all, and my former employees. Like one of the very first conversations we had was you got to keep my employees or I'm not doing this deal, right? So I wanted all of that to kind of come together. I wanted success for everybody. And Nate wanted success for everybody. And that was a huge part of it. So if you can find that kind of relationship with a seller, you know, a seller's selling for a variety of different reasons. And maybe they're distressed. Maybe they have, you know, they're getting a divorce. Maybe there was a death in the family. Maybe they have an illness in the family and they just can't continue. The win you're giving them is taking the burden of their business away and providing something else that is, makes them, that's manageable for them. That makes them sit back and go, okay, at least that's been taken care of, right? You're not going to go into every situation like mine, right? And I'd like to bring up potential seller, the deal didn't close, but like this was the 100% opposite of what Jillian brought to the table. Another lawyer had another synergistic complementary complementary practice looking to sell, but he wasn't selling for the benefit of the clients, for the benefit of the firm. He was trying to sell to get as much money as (laughs) humanly possible because he saw what we all kind of were seeing. The economy is changing. The markets are changing. This guy, he had a very tight cast business, a select type of client that frankly, it may not go well in the near future, but he was trying to cash out as much as humanly possible, sell out at the top price when he could. And I hope he found that sucker out there for his own (laughs) benefit, because that's all it was about. I hope he didn't. That's bad karma, my friend. That's bad karma. It really is. But I mean, we, we started to do due diligence. We started talking about things and it became very evident that he really didn't have as much as what he was offering but he was in a great market that may not have been. And this present moment is not the market that it was when we first started talking about it. So you got to watch out just because there's an opportunity. Some of the smartest decisions that you can make is saying no. Oh, tell me about it. I've done that. And, And by the way, I'm getting way better at it now. Now that I don't feel this pressure of like, you know, pleasing a lot of people or making everybody happy or acquiring new clients, saying no is like so easy. Also, if, by the way, if you get your key teeth kicked in a couple of times because you said yes the wrong way or the wrong time, it becomes real easy to say no. It becomes super But we all have to go through that. That's part of entrepreneurship. That started a part of doing your business is you're going to make wrong steps. You're going to lose money in one way or the other because you're refining and systematizing and scaling your own business through acquisitions, organic growth or otherwise. And it's one of those, you just have to keep doing different things and then you're going to find some of it scales and goes amazingly. Kind of my exact feeling with 
with crowdfunding lawyers and other things that don't necessarily go well. And then you just want to be able to move on from that to focus on what has been successful, which is exactly why I spend 100% of my time with crowdfunding lawyers at this point. Absolutely yeah. love the business. And Jillian, thank you so much for giving <laughs> me your staff because it, they are really amazing people. Oh, so so happy about that. I really am. And it was funny because it was during the pandemic and Nate was like, I want people in the office. And it was like, well, Nate, no one's in the office. And then he realized like, oh, this can work with people from different areas of the country. So it, it did work. So this is, this is, um, this is something I'm super proud of. Um, and Nate, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this in for our landing. I'm very proud of what Nate and I did in terms of this acquisition from both sides of the table. And I hope you guys can learn something from this. But I feel like there's a there's an old Harvard Business Review that put it so well and so eloquently. It's it's way back in 1996 if you want to Google search for it. But it summed up how to what principles you needed to have in order to really hone in on the right candidate. And they're not what you think they are. So I'm going to go through those real quick here. And I feel like Nate and I did every single one of these. Number one, you want to insist on innovative operating strategies, right? So on both sides of the table on this, right? The buyer and the seller have got to have a meeting of the minds. They have to be willing to sandbox certain things and use systems that perhaps they didn't think of using before or operating in a way they didn't consider before. Nate, what say you about that? Uh, 100%. I mean, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and that means I don't want to be doing all the heavy lifting myself. So you have to have the systems to be able to grow and scale with and to implement so that you can manage from on high versus being down in the trenches, uh, making everything happen. So could not agree more. Absolutely. So then also don't do the deal if you can't find the leader, right? So again, this comes from both sides. Nate needed someone who was going to say, I am the leader in this and I'm going to pass the reins to you and I'm going to give you everything you need, the whole entire operation. But from my side, because of the way we structured the financing, which was very much based on Nate's future success, I needed to make sure that there was a leader over there or my my sale was at risk. So you want to make sure that you have a leader on each side of the table. The third thing you want to do is offer big incentives to top level executives or you know your top your top people to make sure that they stay, they keep the ship running, things like that. So for me, again, one of the incentives for me to not so much stay and work, but to stay and be responsive, to stay and lead. I still to this day, Nate will tell you, I still to this day get people going, hey, can you help me out with this? It just happened yesterday, right? I had somebody say, hey, can you help me out with writing these documents? Nope, I can't, but Nate can. You know, it'd be really easy for me to ignore Ignore those types of emails and just, you know, do nothing. But it's better karmically, first and foremost, to send it to Nate. And secondly, financially, <laughs> it's better because his success is tied to my success. And now, it, just to, to chime in on that before we get to the next one, it's not just the leader on the buy side and the sell side. On the buy side, who's actually going to be managing it if you have yeah. a goal of being an entrepreneur and you reached out to who was just my attorney at the time, Richard Robinette, who is the most 
loyal, honest person that I know. And so when we acquired crowdfunding lawyers, the deal was, Richard, you're the partner. You, I have more trust and faith in you than anybody else. But the deal is you get to run as much of the show so I can do my crazy entrepreneurial ventures and focuses and everything else. So it's, you have to have on the buy side, make sure that you've got your management figured out of who's going to be running the show, who's going to be in the trenches and how you're going to keep the team that you're buying and acquiring happy across the board. Yeah, exactly. So next thing, link compensation to changes in cash flow. This goes not just for somebody like myself, not just for for Richard, but also all other employees so that they're incentivized to keep the business moving in the right direction, right? Now, push the pace of change. Nate, you guys have grown exponentially since I sold the firm to you. How did you push the pace of change? Honestly, very carefully and very slow because I know that you run forward in any direction. That's when you quickly can do the missteps. However, mm-hmm. I at least come from the benefit that I had systematized to the point of being passive a law firm already. So I've gone through the motion. I had the experience. And so it was just implementing those same things that I did, but really implementing it better than I ever had because you have that opportunity to do it all again and just do it better the second time, do it better the third time. So that's where it's been a really an amazing scaling opportunity that I I think that between the firms and the synergy between them, it's grown 200% plus across the board, just the way all this has come together and scaled and systematized through that synergy of the two firms, two staffs, two differing directions that it was going, but now creating that economies of scale and the opportunity to grow all together. Yeah. And then the sixth point is something that you did so incredibly well, which was you fostered dynamic relationships among everyone. I mean, it was funny because here Nancy and I were like out. We weren't employees anymore. We were no longer involved in the day-to-day operations. And Nate went out of his way to make sure that we were always included in company events. He went out of his way to come to California. Nate's in Texas. A lot of the firm is in Texas. But he went out of his way to come to California and make sure that all of the California employees and people felt included and brought people in from out of state to California so that everybody could feel included. And and then he also would invite clients, for example, and and get them involved as well. So just created these incredible dynamic relationships amongst all these people. Those are things you did not have to do but I feel like it has spurred your success that much further. It definitely has, but also to take it to kind of a secondary level, COVID, the remote working (laughs) situation. We've continued to expand and grow really remotely across the country. It's difficult to have that feeling of team and togetherness when everybody's spread out everywhere. So that's where bringing the events together, getting people to remember that they're part of a team, as well as daily huddle with the attorneys, with the staff, with the market, group with everybody just 
that constant reminder, we're a team, we're in this together. And that's really the, the our daily focus is to make sure that the team remembers that's exactly what we are. Right. No, perfect. Awesome. And you've done a great job of that. And then finally, if you want to start this all over again, you have to have somebody who knows how to acquire, who knows how to keep a lookout. If you want to keep doing this and keep scaling this way, you got to have someone in the firm who's always on the lookout. You know, I do this in my own business now. I Every day I have a habit of looking for new opportunities, fleshing out new opportunities, bouncing those ideas off of some of my partners and other businesses and saying like, what do you think of acquiring something like this? And sometimes I get faced with, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to constantly be, for lack of a better term, and I hate this word, you have to constantly be hustling, looking, you know, having your hand on the pulse of whatever is happening in the industry. Where is the next thing going to crop up that's needed? How is artificial intelligence going to affect your current business and how can you scale effectively or how can you use artificial intelligence to take some of those daily tasks off of you so you can go out and scale through other acquisitions? You know, I, I've lived by a saying throughout my career, you're either growing or you're dying. So it, it is exactly to your point. It is always about what's the next step for the betterment of yourself, your family, and your business. Because honestly, even if the economy goes negatively, that's okay as long as you have that right mindset and the right focus. A downturn in the economy is just an opportunity to get into more acquisitions because people are going to be looking to exit but not necessarily for the right reason. So right now, it's a great time to get out there and try to find your next growth opportunity. This is awesome. Thanks, Nate. I'm Jillian Sidoti. And I'm Nate Dodson. And this is why.